This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Suara. I'm back. I'm sorry, listeners. Life has been insane the past couple of weeks. Please forgive me. <laughs> and today, we're going to be talking about Russian trolls in The Last Jedi. Or are they Russian trolls? We will find out after a conversation between Suara and myself and a brief interview with Morton Bay of USC, who conducted the highly trafficked interview, or, or excuse me, study. Uh, on the impact of trolls online and sentiment around The Last Jedi. This was a pretty blockbuster piece uh, in terms of Star Wars and politics, and we are here to talk about it. Suara, I'm glad you sound so hyped to be back. I think it's been like three weeks since the listeners have heard your voice. I know. I'm sorry. Just just moving stuff. Like, I will be fully settled in my new place on Saturday. Uh, you could say that. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, It's been a lot. I was also last week on the West Coast for work all week, so that like dove into plans as well. And it's just been insane the past couple of weeks. But I'm back. Bear with me. Thank you. Well, it's nice to be with you. The force is now strong with Beltway Banthas. Uh, I, I guess like a quick listener update. If anybody doesn't follow me on Twitter and see this, I'm actually no longer in the hive of scum and villainy myself. I just moved out. Uh, Suara moved in, and I am now out. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, so if you're down there, hit me up. Let's hang. It should be fun. Um, But I guess we're still going to have to just keep the tagline of the show the same because it would just be a real shame to lose that tagline, and you are in the hive of scum and villainy, so technically it's half-live from there. I mean, listen, we're covering our bases with state to state. We're not going to have a full Beltway Banthas until we get in all 50 states. So this is just the first step towards that. Maybe the hive and scum of villainy is just the friends we made along the way. Suara, exactly. Star Wars Resistance is out. It is live. Uh, the first three episodes, at least, are up on demand uh, on my cable package. How deep are in you, are you into the new uh, Star Wars TV show? It's, it's a pretty neat one. So, I have gone the Amazon deal where for just $3, we get the whole season. Oh, you can binge it. Is it is insane. Yeah. Well, um, not yet because it only comes out as each episode comes out week to week. Then what's so the I've point only, of that? Well, I mean, it's still for only $3 as the episodes come out, I get to watch all of them for the entire season as they come out week to week. And then you can rewatch them over and over again? Yeah, and then I can rewatch them over and over again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess so, that's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it is cool. <laughs> so I have watched the first episode, the two-parter, forty-three minutes, and I love this series. It has such a strong premise. I love Kazuda Ziono. Kaz, he's already one of my favorite characters. I like I said before. I love the premise. I love the opening. I love the setup. I love that this epi- this uh, series feels so grounded. It is just dealing with the regular folks of the galaxy and how, the- I mean, somewhat like Rebels, but without the weird Force stuff, for lack of a better term. It's really just about these ground and uh, flight fighters who are taking the fight against the First Order or the bad guys of the series. So yeah, resi- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it just, I don't know. I love the animation. I feel like the dialogue is really nice and crisp. It the is, voice acting, yeah. the, the voice acting is great. I am so happy with this premiere and I'm looking forward to where they go next. I hope they keep it at this level. I just want to emphasize, and I said this on uh, another podcast, Scavengers Horde, you know, you can have a cameo here and there of Force users, but please, please, please no longer make the weird Force stuff in animation a main 
a main uh, plot point. Like, yeah. let's keep it to the pilots. Let's keep it grounded. This is the Star Wars series I wanted to see. Yeah, it's nice to be back to the basics. And I have to say, I'm glad that you you like uh, uh, like Kaz so much because I actually think he reminds me a whole lot of you. Um, so much of sort of your spirit and sort of the way I feel like you're just excited and, and giddy, you know, when you're uh, like at a Comic-Con, right? And I feel like Kaz in 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 that sort of that racing town, that sort of floating city, the platform, I guess it was called. He reminded me a lot of Suara when he walks into a Comic-Con and it made me happy. Um, so there's so much to love Aww. there. There's so much to love there. And I've been saying it for, for a while now. I think the animation is just incredibly cool. I feel like it's just a beautiful show. And for me, just sitting down and, and enjoying the visuals, I never liked the look of either Clone Wars or Rebels. And this is, to me, the most visually impressive show and I, I sort of like the speed at which everything moves and the writing is just really fun it's a very good show it's lighthearted, but n- without taking itself unseriously like it actually has some really great writing and dialogue and i take the characters um very honestly like i feel like they they're real people and they talk like real people so there's there's just so much to be said for it i actually did not know that it was a double episode so you're telling me they are going to be the standard like 20 25 minute episodes correct yes exactly yeah, going forward yeah so that premiere was longer than usual i was like oh my gosh we have like hour long episodes this is crazy um but I guess that won't be the norm. So, yeah, I, I don't really know where this is going to go from here, but I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. I can't wait to get home from my my trip here in Salt Lake City and watch some more. Yeah, it's going to be really great. And I will say some people, just very few, honestly, I think it – you know, sometimes we tend to focus on a very few people. I think this will be relevant to our discussion later and tend to like overblow what it is that they're saying when really it's a minority. So I feel like a minority of people, honestly, have been saying, oh, it looks too kiddish. Oh, it looks too childish. Listen, it's a cartoon series. Of course it's going to be childish. All of Star Wars is generally primarily geared towards kids. I don't and have I energy just, for that, that. those arguments. My goodness. <laughs> right, exactly. And I will say that all of the problems I ever had with Clone Wars and Rebels had literally nothing to do with them being kiddish or immature. My problems were with plot points or uh, the weird force stuff. The sort of random storylines happening in random the middle of the season. Lines, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I care about. I don't care about the level of maturity. I care about how good of a story this is. And I feel as though Resistance has made a really good, strong foundation for where their story can go. And I'm looking forward. Yeah. Well, Suara, our main subject for today is the study that was put out by Morton Bay. We're going to be talking a little bit about that here. Uh, So this study... Uh, came out of USC, uh, the uh, the Center for Digital Future, sort of a little subset there. Um, and it came from researcher Morton Bay, PhD. Uh, and he was analyzing tweets sent to Ryan Johnson after The Last Jedi's release. And in his studies, he found something alarming. It appeared to him that uh, there was a great deal of what could be seen as bots, sock puppets, trolls, um, perpetuating very malicious political messages in their reaction to The Last Jedi. And that The Last Jedi's, um, you know, the, some of the negative sentiment around it was coming from a less genuine place than fans just not liking the movie for, you know, whatever sort of cinematic or story or, or any of the reasons that you kind of mentioned there with Resistance, but that the, the reaction and blowback to the movie was very political in nature. I think that that is 100% true from from my experiences with my friends in the political world and their fandom of Star Wars. But there was a peculiar headline that sort of rose out of this, which was that Russia has been, you know, deploying its trolls and its bots and everything that we've sort of seen play out in the 2016 election into Star Wars fandom. Did Russia tank The Last Jedi? Suara, you've looked over all of this. You are a, a, a data researcher yourself. Did <laughs> did Russia tank The Last Jedi? Uh, well, I will say, I, I think like my answer from like everything I've gathered is kind of yes and no. Russia, what they did, and this is something Morton and Ryan Johnson, when he quote tweeted the study, What they did, these Russian bots, was target a particular virulent strain of fan reaction, 
including some sexist, racist, uh, negative backlash and amplified it, make it seem as though that particular, particular strain, which was real, which is real, was way bigger than it actually is. These Russian bots were effectively going into people's mentions, uh, retweeting these trollish tweets Mm -hmm. and just making it seem as though this was the main reason why people disliked The Last Jedi. I have, so I love The Last Jedi, but I have plenty of friends that didn't like it for very valid reasons. So many of them have been so frustrated over the past couple of months for being essentially grouped in with these same people, with this same minority virulent strain. It has been such a mess because, again, it's over-amplified this. It is real, but it's not the majority of why people dislike The Last Jedi. So I think this was like the real key point of what Morton was getting into in his study. Like he did um, make note that when he was doing his study, he found a solid fifth of people when The Last Jedi came out didn't like it or hated it. And that's, I think, is pretty normal for a big budget film that comes out. I think you're always going to have a valid backlash or negative reaction of some sort. But there are different types of that. And yeah, Russia didn't tank it, but it just like amplified the virulent response. Yeah. And, you know, he collected tweets from about 967 accounts, and then he had basically manually sorted them into positive, negative, and neutral categories. And then kind of from all of that, and this is kind of the big takeaway here with particularly, you know, critics of the study that Morton put together is that, you know, he was only able to really determine that like 16 um, accounts of everything that he had looked at um, out of a couple of hundred uh, looked like they sort of mirrored any sort of Russian traits or that they could have possibly been Russia based troll accounts. And that was sort of like a big thing with people going like, wait, so this headline is telling me Russia attacked the last Jedi. And then you get in there and it's like 11 accounts were identified as maybe being Russia linked. And that's sort of the whole point, right? Because you're not supposed to know what accounts are Russian trolls. It's going to be, it's going to be hard to figure out and you can't really know. It's all kind of basically circumstantial evidence. And I, I'm sympathetic to some criticisms of, of this study that were, that were put together. You know, there were some concerns, which I talked to Morton about in an interview that y'all hear in a little bit about his methodology, about why he chose the, the select group of accounts that he did. Why didn't he look at more Star Wars fandom more broadly instead of just tweets at Ryan Johnson? And, you know, why was the overall size of, of the sort of the pool of people that he looked at relatively small if you're talking about social media? Um, and, and he's going to speak to all of those uh, here shortly. But I think my just gut reaction over all of this was all of you on the show know I've sort of said this a while. And we talked to a, another researcher named Bethany Lacina, who her study on this sort of topic found that there was no sort of you know foreign trolling action going on in the Star Wars community after The Last Jedi. But my gut has always been that, of course, there is. Of course, there are malicious bot or foreign accounts that are basically trying to drum up negative behavior. Behavior and negative interactions. I, I feel like that's just sort of a given. Like, Suara, even do you sort of feel that when you get online, like there's always going to be the chance that you're arguing with somebody who's not real or you're arguing with some guy in his basement in Saudi Arabia or Russia or China uh, that's just trying to make you mad and there's a strategy to it? Oh, yeah, totally. Every month that we do SW Rep Matters, we encounter them all the time, like these trolls or like random bots, like coming into our mentions talking about, oh, why are you talking about representation? Uh, Like you must, maybe you're the one that's racist or whatever, you know, just like tracks and derails all over the place. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I feel as though Star Wars is big enough and honestly, more big franchises are becoming like this. Disney, Marvel, et cetera. Well, really anything owned by Disney are big enough that you are going to have this overall online societal response. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, and, 
And that is honestly political in and of itself. You know, like we discuss these things at the same level as we are discussing politics, like not all of them the same level, but a good chunk of them. I think we can all say that certainly for The Last Jedi, that was all anyone could talk about. It was like the presidential election all over again. And people are still talking about it months after the fact, even if you're not in hardcore Star Wars fan. Yeah, in there, like, you know, and the debate was just instantly like political. Like it's like the debate over The Last Jedi was a proxy battle of – the election. And it, and it just, it was amazing to me looking at Twitter and Facebook and my communities of friends at how views about The Last Jedi fell predictably along, in my view, political affiliations. And it was kind of shocking. And then you mentioned it earlier where like somebody could legitimately not have liked The Last Jedi. And then they would immediately be put on the defense by somebody on social media to be like, I dislike The Last Jedi. I'm not misogynist. I'm not a racist. I just – I didn't like it. And the fact that you have to even clarify that is kind of wild, but it's sort of part of the times that we live in. And there are malicious actors who prey on that kind of thing because they see it cropping up. And the other thing is – I'm just going to say this from the side of the left. Like something that's really annoyed me personally – is some people using the last Jedi, their love of the last Jedi as a woke badge of honor. Yeah. No, Mm -hmm. like I feel like the last Jedi is only a liberal, like more quote unquote, society, socially liberal film. And the fact that it it made an effort to have a more diverse cast and like more women leads and talks about class differences and talks about uh, how the rich may be ruining a bit, which is a scene that only lasts like two minutes. We discussed it at length on our show with it's, Seth It's Maskin. amazing we hear so much about that scene and it's so short. Like, Jesus. Right, exactly. <laughs> but other than that, it's The Last Jedi is a pretty standard Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. And as we say on the show all the time, it is political, not partisan. And just because, again, this virulent strain was so amplified, it was there to be sure, but because it was so amplified and it seemed as though that was the main reason why people dislike the last Jedi. You have some other people in fandom who like are saying, Oh yes, I love the last Jedi. I love, you know, like this uh, diversity so much. And if you don't like it, you must be a racist. You must be a sexist. We've discussed this with our friend Kate Sanchez before on the show. So it's like, no, it's, it's a film. It's a space fantasy. It is not saying anything really, that I mean, it it may have some commentary here and there, but ultimately, it's about a space war so far away from here. It's not an absolute commentary on you yeah, know our current. And I'm glad politics. you mentioned Kate because you know I think Kate was somebody who was kind of skeptical of the Last Jedi, if I remember correctly, and really felt like she had to over. Oh yeah, she doesn't. Like, she doesn't yeah, like the film. Like yeah. Overly, overly justify her reasons for disliking it, rather than just being to be like, I, I don't like this Star Wars movie. There's a lot of Star Wars movies, and this one certainly isn't the best. And you know, she's somebody from the left. And then if you go into my network, people on the right who saw this study or saw me like tweeting this out or sharing my article about it on Facebook, who come from the political right, were were pissed. Like they were just like. I'm not a Russian bot and I just liked the last Jedi for this and this reason. They'd, you know, spell out in a, in a long essay, like all the reasons they didn't like it. I'm like, that's cool. That's great. But that doesn't mean this stuff doesn't go on just because like, I sort of like everybody makes it hyper personal. Like it, this sort of study and someone checking this out or, or writing this up invalidates their views or makes it harder for them to justify their views. And it's really not their fault because they are put in a position often where they have to justify politically their movie opinion, which is, it's just tough and it's not a good position to be put in. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, you know, when I came out of The Last Jedi, I loved it. I couldn't wait to discuss it with my friends. And I have found a group of friends that love it and we discuss it with each other. And that's great. And I also have friends that don't like it and we just talk about other things. But when I came back on to on being online and even now, like nine months later, I still feel as though I'm on the defensive. It it, it It's insane. I shouldn't be feeling this way about a film. I love it, but I ultimately enjoy it for myself. Yeah. And I'm not going to defend that towards anyone, but you know, if they I'm still in the back of my head worried about something I say, something that could essentially uh start a conversation that I can't get myself out of and it just 
needs to stop. Just let people like the film or dislike the film as they will and just let the past die, please. <laughs> let the past die. I think that's a great opportunity right now to cut away to my conversation with researcher Morton Bay out in California about the study that he did and sort of an opportunity for him to clarify what he was seeking to do in this piece of work and how people perceived it, how it was sort of in his mind twisted in, in, a, in a negative way and what he thinks about some of the methodology questions as well. So uh, we're going to jump right to that and then we will cut back and Swar and I will continue our discussion. Without further ado, here's Morton Bay. So Morton, give us the elevator speech on your study, why you did it, what purpose, and what were you hoping to learn in a study like this? All right. So uh, my initial – so what, what happened really was that I was uh, – I had filed my dissertation and um, um, for those who are um, – PhDs out there will know that, you know, it takes a while for, for that to come back and like, um, have, uh, you know, some, some formatting reviews and that kind of stuff in it. And so I, um, I was a little bored and, um, and I, I've been thinking about doing some kind of, I wanted to do some kind of uh, work that was related to Star Wars just because I've never done that as an academic. And I thought that would be fun, a fun little summer yeah. project. Right. And I'd already sort of started studying tweets around the whole last Jedi discussion and the, and the, um, uh, and and Ryan Johnson uh, is particularly uh, the the stuff that was going on on his Twitter account. Excuse me, mostly because um, uh, it was it was actually initially a, a study of uh, with with sort of misinformation as its as its uh, main theme. Uh, in the yeah. sense that I thought it was really interesting to see how many people would cling to what would, you know, if I'm being diplomatic, be dubious sources um, to 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 uh, argue for the fact that the Last Jedi was hated by you know millions of people. Um, yeah, and uh, and I thought that was that was a really interesting uh, case of what we in in my field, sort of information and communication studies, uh, call you know attitude adjustment based on cognitive dissonance. And so okay. it, it was that was the that was the impetus. It was like I, w- I wanted to see why on earth are these people more willing to trust uh, misinformation uh, yeah. to, to 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 reinforce their beliefs more than anything. So let me let me pause you there. Yeah. So so there was almost sort of a, an effort by by your part to kind of like shed a light on whether or not we were being like gaslighted by single accounts online that were basically saying this movie is disliked and unpopular and a failed Star Wars movie. So you had a lot of accounts kind of out there pushing that narrative. You had reviews kind of pushing that narrative in some corners. But what you were kind of trying to figure out was, but that's that's not the case. This movie did quite well. Um, you know, this movie is popular. It seems like I'm being told that it's not. And I want to prove whether or not that's coming from like a malicious, a malicious viewpoint. Um, yeah, it was more, it wasn't as, uh, my initial impetus wasn't as, as, um, uh, thesis driven as that. I was, I was just curious what were, what were, you know, what was going on? What were these people thinking? Uh, and, yeah. and that, so that's why I started the study, but then, so, you know, what often happens in, in social science is that, you know, you get the data and then all of a sudden something completely different shows up. That's actually really much more important. And that's uh, that's what happened when I started looking at the data that I'd collected, and I kind of abandoned that whole um, that whole uh, sort of uh, uh, last Jedi truther thing, if you want to call it that, um, yeah. and and went and and instead uh, because I noticed that there were some people there that were uh, using um, uh, the, the last Jedi discussion as a way to insert themselves and their political opinions into the discussion mm-hmm. sort of in a very deliberate way, um, which yes. is a tactic that I have seen before, uh, because my dissertation is, uh, uh about, um, among other things, uh, China's and Russia's, uh, way of using social media to uh, push certain agendas, and so I was like, "Oh, that's that's interesting. Let's let's have a look at this." And so, and what I found was uh, that there is, you know, a, a majority of fans who are uh, sort of within the, all all the negative tweeting accounts. There are a majority of fans that that were just unhappy fans, which you know they have every right to be. And as William Proctor p- p- um, points out in his paper that I cite, that you know they have a right to be that without having to be called man babies and stuff. So I think that's yeah. that's very true. And 
but then there was the, there were also you know a minority but a substantial minority that were uh you know seemingly uh, you know politicizing the debate on purpose because not because they wanted to say something about the last jedi but because they wanted to to make a political point and use the last jedi as an excuse just to to get their message to some people and within that mm-hmm. set of of uh, accounts i found a tiny tiny little um amount of uh, of uh, pe- uh, well, I should say I found a number of trolls. That was even uh, to begin with a small number, and then within that, I found a, a smaller number of what looked and appeared yeah. to be Russian trolls. Uh, can I can I offer sort of like a breakdown, and, and yep. then you tell me if when I get to the end, tell me if any of it is wrong, yep. and then for the record, we'll kind of like go through a question I have about methodology. Sure. So the paper kind of claims to have found sixteen Russia linked accounts, and these were identified using kind of circumstantial evidence, like posting patterns that weren't really direct ties to known trolls. And then you collected tweets from 967 accounts and manually had sorted them into positive, negative, and neutral categories kind of based on their sentiment. Mm -hmm. And then based on the content of the tweets and sort of the context of users' Twitter timelines, you concluded that 101 of the negative comments were purely motivated by a negative stance towards the film. And the remaining 105 were divided into three categories. That was bots, sock puppets, and trolls. And then sort of out of all of that, it was only a tiny subset, Um, like 16 had a combination of those traits that mirror the types that might be Russia-linked accounts. So you ended up with this really small chunk that were possibly Russia-connected. And then the the billing of your study was half of accounts that disliked The Last Jedi were Russian bots. And that's that's not accurate. What do you think happened there? And did I kind of get any of that breakdown? Um, Yeah, you kind of did. I'm I'm afraid. But um, but but um, let me let me see if I can correct you, uh, correct you on it. Uh, First of all, uh, when when you say Russian linked accounts, um, that's actually not what I was saying. Uh, What I'm saying is that there are accounts that appear to be uh, Russian accounts. Trolls, which is a very sort of specific term we use when we study these things, um, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 the appear is very very important there because I'm not actually making any attribution claims. Uh, it's it's that's something that is uh, that's that's really really hard to do, uh, especially when you don't have access to Twitter's uh, internal data or your yeah. And that's, I think that's kind of why I said like it mirrors the traits yes. of Russia linked accounts. Yeah, I mean it seemed it kind of enacts right. those same kind of tactics where they like disappear appear for a certain amount of time, change their information periodically, kind of those red flags, but you can't really, you can't say for sure because you're not the CIA. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's, 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 you know, I stress that very, very, uh, uh, I emphasize that a lot in the paper. So, so that's the one thing. And the second thing is the 105 were, were, um, uh, politically motivated where, you know, 67 of them were, were, you know, people who had, you know, regular Americans, not even trolls, people with with uh, real lives and accounts and real identities that were that were that were just acting in a politically activist way on the in within the last Jedi, uh, last Jedi discussion, and they were not. Uh, you know, yeah. th- that's like sixty-seven, and and there are forty-four of the others, and then there's four accounts that were uh, sort of. Um, uh, a little difficult to, to pinpoint. Uh, so I think I also think you got the number switched. It's 105 positive, uh, sorry, uh, 105 uh, regular antagonists and 101 of the uh, of the politically active uh, motivated. But that's you know yeah. irrelevant. Yeah, Morton. So, so kind of, kind of speaking to um, kind of criticisms of the work yes. you did, I want to bring up the question of sample size. Why the small sample size in terms of the uh, amount of tweets that you kind of, kind of compiled together, and then also why did you choose to only look at tweets directed at Ryan Johnson when kind of getting a feel for whether or not there was an issue here? What's kind of your argument in favor? Of well, that? thank you, thank you for asking that uh, because it's uh, it's it's actually spe- you know all of that. This is specified in the paper, but. I'll a lot of people don't seem to want to read the paper before judging it. Um, the um, the uh, so the the first of all, it's not a sample. Um, there's uh, you know a sample is something you take f- from a larger population when you can't actually look at the entire population, right? It's it's a fraction mm-hmm. of the population. I'm looking at the entire population here uh, because the entire population is small enough to do that. Uh, so it's not a sample, and I'm not making any statistical inferences at all. 
samples are used in, in statistics. There's no statistics at work here. There's there's just it's it's uh, at least not inferential statistics. Um, so uh, what I did was I collected every single tweet that was retweeted. Uh, sorry, that was uh, tweeted at Ryan Johnson, which came out to around eighteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if, in the period between December 13 and July 20. And that, you know, when you pull out the retweets, which we can't really use when we're talking sentiment analysis because people um, retweet reflexively without thinking. Um, and uh, when you take out the, the GIFs, uh, because I had to do that to make it text searchable, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you take out the um, uh, Ryan Johnson's own tweets, uh, you get down to around 2,000. And then, and okay. then that then becomes uh, then it became a question of of, of removing uh, duplicate not duplicate tweets but like tweets several tweets from the same account in order to get to the number of accounts that were that were tweeting negatively and that's how I arrived at nine hundred thirty seven. So that's so okay. that's that's it's basically you know it's it's all of them it's not just a, it's not just a sample but it's it's all of them with certain uh, uh, f- filters. Uh, or cer- certain tweets filtered out because that's how the method works. Um, that's that's something that I had to do. So so it's 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 not really you know it's not really a sample. Uh, what was the other question? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think the other the other question linked to that is: Are there any criticisms of the work that you did that you think are kind of fair? You know that like oh you know this this study really can't show that, and I kind of get why people you know might have wanted to see more of this. But uh, you know, is there anything that you sort of feel like you just weren't able to do with this study that you kind of wish you had? Okay, so one thing that's really uh, important to note is that because I'm not uh, doing uh, a sample and regular statistical inferences, this is not. And oh, now I remember your other question. Um, this is not a study beyond anything but Ryan Johnson's Twitter, right? Uh, his, yes. his his uh, his Twitter profile. That's what this covers. Nothing else. You know, I'm not trying to say anything mm-hmm. about. Uh, fandom, uh, Star Wars fandom in general, or all the people that saw uh, um, uh, the film. In fact, I write to, directly in the paper that if anyone wants to like draw that out of my data, it should happen with quote uh, extreme caution because the, the, it, this does not say anything other than what happened on on in that period on Ryan Johnson's uh, timeline. The reason why I chose okay. that was because. Uh, I could have gone with one of the hashtags that was going around, but that would that would have ignored other hashtags. I could have gone with several hashtags, but then I wouldn't have gotten sort of the relationship to the, the positive accounts. Um, uh, yeah. The and then the only alternative to do what to doing what I did would would have been to to do a complete full um, uh, collection of every single tweet that was ever written about uh, the Last Jedi, which, with my resources, yeah. just as a summer study that's not that hasn't gotten any funding, would uh, would yeah, yeah that, that would have been impossible. <laughs> so I just limited it. You know, it was a summer project, and I was like, I'm, I'm just going to look at this particular subset and see what's there. So that's that's all yeah. it was. And then, of course, what happened was the the media somehow got stuck on this Russian troll thing, and just and just and I want to <laughs> say, you know, the the it's a, it's a great hook, you know. It is, it is, it is, and I get it. You know, it's just really annoying when when all that that's in there is basically the all acknowledging of the amount of Russian trolls that would be in any discussion of this kind at this point. You know, yeah. so it's just uh, so so they got hooked on that, and then it became this whole thing about half fifty percent, and and then people started talking about, oh look, just because I I don't like the Last Jedi, I'm now a Russian troll, and and even Russian, yeah. Bark. I've I've heard that one numerous times when I've kind of shared shared your work from folks who do not like the Last Jedi and I think it's not really a coincidence that uh, uh, the folks who I've heard this from where they go oh well I guess I'm just a Russian troll I happen to know to be my conservative <laughs> friends and I'm like it's not it's not saying no. that like you yeah you are you are so wrapped up in this idea that you're being attacked all the time and that everything is illegit delegitimized by any ties to Russia it, it's it's strikingly political like the line in the sand where where this study agitates people. And I've sort of seen two things. So one, uh, right-of-center folks who I know really disliked this because it felt like, to them, it delegitimized their feelings about The Last Jedi. In fact, they might not have just, they might have just disliked it. You know, it might have just been a boring movie. A Sonny Bunch had written about this in the Washington right. Post. Um, that it was just a boring movie. And, you know, God forbid we don't have to make it about um, right. Russia. And then... Uh, kind of on the left, I've sort of seen a little bit of pushback as well, where they're very focused in trying to show that there's a deep, actual, real user fandom problem where people are misogynist 
sarcastic, hateful, um, kind of like a continuation of Gamergate right. in many ways. Like this is this is coming from real people. And we need to police it. And so, like the idea of chalking it off to Russian, you know, interference or foreign influence basically takes away from the realness of the toxicity yes. problem. And that's kind of it's it's very predictable. Where I think people feel about this work, like it's taking away somehow from their talking points. Um, Stephen, there's a lot of political things you and I don't agree on, but that we absolutely agree on. I think that's a. Uh, I think you've uh, you've nailed it right there. It's it's interesting because um, the, the whole the whole uh, attack thing. I uh, you know it's um, first of all there's there's a there's a whole section in the in the in the paper that talks about the the the, the necessity and ethics of, of of respecting people who just didn't have a good experience with the film. So you know I just don't mm-hmm. I just don't get it. Uh, I've seen people use that Sonny Bunch article. Um, with, um, you know, to, to sort of prove me wrong. And I'm literally quoted <laughs> in the article saying where he's saying, oh, yeah, some more, even the author doesn't think this is what, the, what people are saying it is. Uh, and and yeah. finally, I mean, he's a partisan writer. He, you know, he mostly... Yeah, he's yeah, an yeah. opinion writer, and that's and that's fair. I mean, I, he, he can write whatever he wants, but but like using him to show that my study is biased, it's like what? <laughs> but I think you know, I think yeah. a lot of people. This is one of them. You know, as a social media researcher, I think it, one of the things that that really frustrates me. Also, having worked as a journalist for many years and 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 being sort of interested in politics, one of the things that really uh, interests me, but also saddens me, is this tendency to react to headlines. And react to to sort of what what something says in the in the in the uh, link text to some article rather than actually reading stuff and then reacting. I'm I'm in the op-ed business. Like basically, my day job is placing um, freelancers op-eds, and you know I can just tell you that that's it's the name of the game. You know, like people people read the headline and then they argue with you about the headline, and then when you challenge them and you push them, be like, "Did you read this? Because I, I think you might be interested in what it says on page four. And they'll go, "Why would I have gone that far?" <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, and and you're just kind of like, "Well, then this conversation's over. I, I'm done yeah. talking to you uh, because that this is not what this and is I, about." I know, I know we're going um, um, a little into a long uh, discussion here, but I just want to tie one thing that's really important to me to that point. Um, and that is, a, you know, there's always when we do social science studies like this, uh, one of the most important questions we, we always ask at the end of, of the study is, so what? You know, that's that's sort of a that's that's a test for why is this even relevant? Right. Interesting. Um, and and yeah. the thing that I feel like is the main takeaway from this uh, and something I'm probably going to pursue, actually, as a as some of my future research inspired by what just happened uh, is this idea of anonymity. Uh, this idea of uh, because I f- very firmly believe, of course, that. that you address this on NBC. NBC yes, that's the right. Day. Yeah, yeah. The question. I, I have this uh, this idea that you know, yes, anonymity is necessary in the media because of whistleblowing and whatever. But I, I think we need to, we need to start a culture where we where we you know want to see who the person making all these ridiculous statements on on uh, on some. Um, uh, website or, or, or social media platform, who that person is, you know, stand behind your words or shut up. Yeah. I, I, so I want to wrap up here, um, because we've, we've already gone a little bit more than I, I thought we would. And that's great. This is a lot of fun. Um, but you kind of, you kind of readdressed the piece in NBC think mm-hmm. the other day and you, I think in this sort of, this was like an effort to like kind of control the narrative a little bit more and try to grab back the reins from where this has gone from, you know, like Russia interfere with the last Jedi, which is, which is a big right. claim to make. You kind of rebuild this more as conservative activists engage in, are, are engaged in militia activity online and that there was sort of like a mirroring of Russian tactics. Um, Can I ask you, how do you define political activist and sort of this thought and how do you really define conservative? Because I, I sort of, I sort of see a lot of conversation about like what the alt right does um, in sort of online spaces, and I, I'm kind of curious if you're sort of blurring those lines between like alt right kind of types deep in Reddit and conservative writers and commentators, or if you're just sort of like making a blanket commentary and like right wing uh, or right of center individuals online kind of are echoing these sort of tactics, and they're they're either doing it on purpose or, or just 
just sort of falling okay, into so, it. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've, I'm interested in politics, I've covered politics, I've worked in politics. So, uh, so I, I've tried to, uh, especially when it comes to uh, American politics, to be very sort of conscious of the different kinds of, uh, of labels there, right? Uh, and I want first to, first of all, to say one of, one of your, um, uh, when, when you tweeted this out that we were doing this, there was one person that asked whether, um, you know, uh, I had done, I had checked uh, for the same kind of activity on the left. Um, and, and I did. And it's not there in my data set, at least. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. I think it's, um, I don't, and, and to answer your question about conservative and 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 all right, the, you know, I, I very much distinguish between the two. Uh, don't get me wrong about that. The 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 reason why uh, I I have sometimes used those two terms in this context is because both of them are there. There are both people that are sort of yeah. slightly uh, center right who uh, who have engaged in this uh, with no other intent, and here comes the political activist definition with no other intent than pushing their political agenda um uh, there have both yeah. been like conservatives that did that and alt writers and people that were yeah and i would i would sort of i would sort of say like the main influencer in the conservative space um would be ben shapiro and i think ben shapiro amplified um the the sentiments of sort of these kind of bot shell accounts i mean their most like negative commentary about the last jedi and he basically would parrot it word for word or maybe it went the other way but there sort of seemed to be an alignment between conservative punditry and then sort of this weird like alt-rightish sort of bot hmm. nexus where they were all talking about the same thing and I, I think it's honestly just because this movie for some reason pissed people off if you were to the right of center it just it's almost universal. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's a blank statement, but you know what I mean? You know, there was, there was a striking amount of alignment and I listened to a lot of right-wing podcasts. It's, it's just like, it's like the echo chamber or something. It's like everybody's sort of fallen into agreement. Well, on honestly, this issue. I think what happened was, you know, I don't, I, as I've written in a, in a ton of places, I don't really see this. I don't see the last Jedi as, and, and I don't know, maybe that is, that's my, that is biased. I don't know. I, I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really make a difference scientifically, but, um, I don't really see The Last Jedi as being uh, any more left of center than any of the other Star Wars movies. I mean, Star Wars is slightly left of center. You know, it's a Hollywood liberal dream, right? So, uh, so, so that's that's sort of one thing. Um, the I think what has happened though is the is this is the first this is the first uh, Star Wars movie in the Trump era, and I think it's it's literally you know the the legitimacy of of, of using certain types of language. Um, that that um, that has happened post Trump. That I think, and 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 also the, sort of this idea of being overlooked and underheard. Uh, that um, that I think um, people are reacting with. And so when they when they go to just have fun mm-hmm. and see their their you know a fun movie and they get like anti war profiteering and feminist messaging, uh, you know they they react with the same kind of language that they would in another political context in which those things were being presented. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to, you know, you, you said there, there should be an expectation that we shouldn't have to deal with so many Twitter accounts, you know, titled at feminazi, you know, eight, eight, um, you know, or feminazi crusher eight, eight, like these are, these are, malicious accounts and you're not able to then like have a certain level of social trust and accountability for the things that are said and people having to own up to their views. It's, it's really just sort of created a total circus online. Steven, I'm going to quote you on that. That's a great quote. I like, I really like the way you said that. All right. And that was our interview with Morton Bay out in California. Suara, so he clarifies a whole lot there about the study that he did, why he sort of worked on the certain methodology parameters that he did, and also where he sort of feels like the public relations around the, the message of the, the study got a little blown out of proportion. And he came back into NBCThink.com and wrote his own thoughts on the piece and what people need to understand. Now, this is pretty sensational. This is sort of his rebilling of the, of the piece that he did. And I'm not sure it makes things better, but it says, Star Wars The Last Jedi reactions show how right-wing Twitter agitators adopted Russian tactics. My study suggests that some conservative activists have found Russian trolling tactics useful to spread their messages. So... I'm not sure how that makes it less contentious, but what was sort of your reaction to how Morton 
you know, view the, the runaway of his piece and then trying to, to bring it back down to what he was really thinking about his findings here at NBC Bank. Well, first of all, a really great interview with uh, Morton. I uh, hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. I really feel as though Morton has been very uh, sort of dissatisfied with the way that media outlets have been taking his uh, study and running with it to make it seem as though, oh, it's all Russia. Oh, that's the reason why people hate The Last Jedi. No. He, again, he was talking about that very particular virulent strain. And I think the point of the study was to point out that they're infiltrating these larger cultural discussions and making them more and more political. And that's something we just need to be more vigilant against. Like I was saying earlier, we all need to be careful of when we're going online and who we're interacting with. And I think as well, just not get into these arguments with these trolls or even really just people we disagree with. I've, you know, I've written this on, but why though, just in a Twitter uh, interaction, maybe just don't argue online. I don't know if that's going to cause anyone to change their minds or help anyone really reach a consensus unless like they're a, a friend you actually know or something, then just don't engage with the randos. Yes. I, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, don't engage and, with randos. Like why why do people yeah. feel a need to argue online with people that they don't know? I, I really don't understand it. I get it on Facebook because you know these are people from your life that you met somewhere. Maybe maybe you met them at a conference. You got to know them through school at one point. And then when they kind of drop into your your comment section on Facebook, you're kind of surprised sometimes, like, oh, this person I know, they don't they don't agree with me on that. I'm I'm gonna talk to them or argue with them a little bit about that. I've never understood why you would respond more than one time to an account that you don't know. Uh, there's no way to verify that this is a, a real person or that they're acting in good faith and that they are not trying to just make you angry. I've also never won an argument on Twitter because there's never any personal dynamic to even know that you're dealing with a real human being. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I haven't even won Twitter arguments with friends, really. There's no point to it. I think... You know, again, if you're having like a valuable discussion and what you're bringing up different points, uh, sides of an issue, then sure. But essentially, we're just communicating through text. There's no modulation of tone. There's no real way to have a real full discussion via it, publicly. I think, you know, via if you're messaging with someone and you're having a back and forth there with a live space instead of uh, two, four, 280 character tweets. <laughs> Then yeah, like you know, you get something there, but publicly, no. Yeah. As for yeah, yeah. as for right wing uh, people adopting Russian tactics, I will say, I feel as though like you know you have some strains on the far right that are explicitly racist and sexist that maybe have been agitated on that these Russian accounts and troll accounts have found and amplified and sort of moved to, again, be more virulent, essentially what Morton was saying in his study. But for mainstream conservative outlets, no. I mean, like, maybe there's something subtle there against uh, some of the characters in the film, but outwardly, absolutely not. It's like just... Uh, it, it's not an absolute like these aren't these far right and far left sides are not representative of the full culture war that's going on. I actually saw an interesting study today, like from the Atlantic. I, it was only a headline, but I got to see a couple of the tweets about it. I think you might like this. Uh, you should check it out. Talking about how something like 70 percent of Americans across all racial and racial uh, demographics uh, actually hate PC culture. They hate uh, mm-hmm. constantly feeling as though they're on the defense of, you know, talking about these terms or certain terms or uh, certain uh, like ways of speaking or th- talking and thinking about issues like the sort of policing yeah. of it. That's not to say that we can't have that discussion about it. I think like it's good and healthy, but I think when they are, the thing about PC culture is like the shaming of someone for not understanding something a specific way or um, for uh, having like maybe a very benign point of view, like on a specific controversial issue. But that that's, it's sort of related to that because the other like far ends who are like essentially policing people, trying to police people through that 
are some of the same people in this culture war over the last Jedi. And it's basically, it, it, there's a I will say on the left, there's sometimes a very performative wokeness to it. And on the right, there is act on the far right. I will say there is actual racism and sexism. There are elements of that there. So yeah, it and comes together. I talk yeah. about that quite a bit. You know, we, we sort of in, in the discussion, you know, talked about like the alt-right online and then sort of the conservative media nexus. And we mentioned Ben Shapiro. And, you know, so Ben Shapiro is somebody who sits at this weird crossroads in conservative media where if you listen to the Ben Shapiro show and you're familiar with conservative media, you know that he's not an alt-right agitator. But if you're not in that world, you would definitely, I think, think that he is. And the thing that that Morton points out is that there is a sort of mirroring of Russian tactics and behaviors online by right-wing Twitter users. And it's it's about uh, trolling. It's like having the tongue in cheek. It's also the language that you use. Like when you, when you call Admiral Holdo, you know, a feminazi, right? Like feminazi is a term that I believe that goes back to Rush Limbaugh. I think like he's the person who coined that. Um, but it's, you know, it's just sort of about like radical feminism, you know, oppressive feminism or whatever. And if you, you sort of see these political terminologies and political strands of thought, like when, fans of of Ben Shapiro's show were all upset about an SJW droid in uh the solo movie. There's there's that hybrid of political language with your views on a Star Wars movie that is very unique and it's sort of a tell sign that people are engaging with Star Wars first as a political item and judging it based on their political opinions and pushing a political narrative through Star Wars. Now, I see this on the left, but I'm not sure that it's coming from uh, a less genuine place. And, you know, that just sort of brings me, I think, to one of my favorite analyses of that piece, which was in Vox, and it was titled Russian Trolls Use Star Wars to Sow Discord Online, and the fact that it worked is telling. And it's not really about that there was a thousand Russian trolls or that there was 10 Russian trolls because there was more like maybe 11. But the fact is that it did make people angry. And in this day and age, you are dealing with a situation where every time you get online, and Morton speaks to this on NBC Think as well, you don't know if you're dealing with real humans. Like you're on a battlefield of sorts. And he, he wrote that, you know, what my study reveals isn't some old news about Russian interference in, in Star Wars. It reveals that users must now wrap themselves in the same paranoia and hypervigilance they employ when walking around a foreign or, sit, or major city that they don't know. And I think that that's an incredible way to look at the, the point of the study. It's not about Russia or right-wingers. It's just about reminding us that this is a completely new territory. It's like its own country online. And you just don't know what to do when right. you get there. And that's okay. And I think we just need to be more honest about that, that we are in this sort of alien territory in terms of technology and culture, where we just don't know how to behave and, and where to do certain things and express certain opinions. Absolutely. And I think that hammers down the point that these social media companies have more of a responsibility to regulate what happens in their platforms. You know, there is so much happening all over the place, so much there is sexism, there's racism, there's abuse, harassment happening all over the place. I think in particular with The Last Jedi, you have a lot of sexist uh, behavior going around and uh, basically um, like harping on a lot of women fans and their interpretations of the films from all over the place. You know, no matter what they ship, no matter what they interpret the film, like a lot of pure sexism at woman fans for the last Jedi. And this is something you talked about with Lucina as well. So like on all sides, left, right, whatever. And it is a new battlefield. It is isn't like you say, it's a country that's online of users and the internet has broken down so many barriers in such great ways, but also in some really stressful and potentially dangerous ways that we all need to be aware of. And it can't just be up to us to, I mean, some of us, we do need to regulate ourselves. We do need to be more careful about how we approach things online. But I think especially for younger fans coming onto Twitter, coming onto the internet, it is such a dangerous place and they don't know all of this. And I think more regulation is needed. Let me ask you a question. When, when you see that Morton writes, 
Um, the Last Jedi reactions show how right-wing Twitter agitators adopted Russian tactics. Do you read that as intentionally adopting and learning the tactics of Russian troll farms or sort of like adopting those tactics by osmosis, just sort of by being around it and then just sort of mirroring yeah. it without even thinking about it? Because I would, I would probably put my vote in favor of it's not like they're maliciously trying to act yeah. like Russians. It's just sort of like right. the behavior and then both sides are mirroring the way that they do it. I 100% agree that it's osmosis. It's just being – because when you're in a Twitter interaction, I will say for myself, when I first got into Twitter, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just copying what other people were doing or the way they were modulating their tone and their text. It's it's hard. So I would feel like for some of these trolls – they would simply copy what the loudest bot was saying and basically amplify that. I don't think it's as though, okay, I will say that in this current administration, in this current political sphere we're in, it's given a lot of, I will say, unsavory people, like uh, let them feel as though they are able to say things they that weren't as publicly acceptable before. And I think that combined with this Russian bot presence, which again, aims for that extremely virulent uh, strain, that is going to cause them to act more like this and think that it's simply okay. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, yeah. that, so that's an amazing point, Suara, because when you get online and you see that there are other people saying the things that you want to say, you feel safer than letting loose on those things. And exactly. that, may, that may be the whole point of sort of these, these bad actors online is that they intensify the nature of the conversation uh, purposefully. You know, they, they say the loudest and most crazy things. They get a couple of retweets. But if you see those things being circulated and you see those getting, things getting engagement, sort of the incentive structure in your mind twists towards like – well, you know, I'm not going to be ostracized if I speak this way because there are people out there who will defend me. And that's what these these actors do is they go out there and then they create these incidents where people start fighting and defending one another. And it might turn out that at the end of the day, the interaction that sparked all of the, the disagreement and fighting in the, the first place might have been an inauthentic one. And that's kind of wild. But I, I think that's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's complicated. It's there are various factors at play and I think, yeah. And more in like, uh, yeah, you said this in your interview, I believe. And like, okay. I'm saying it, that this is not to say that the negative reaction against the last Jedi of which there was a sincere one was Russian. The negative reaction against the last Jedi was sincere. I just, because I, I like, I just want to say I love the last Jedi. I can talk about it for hours. I have talked about it for hours. I can accept that other people don't like it. That's okay. I don't need to go online all the time to defend it. That's not going to give me a woke badge of honor. Instead, the real thing we should be focusing on is the genuine harassment of people. People like Daisy Ridley, Kelly Marie Tran, woman fans of line and women of color. Like these actual real people who have, through the discourse, been attacked, harassed, etc. And they're the ones who need our support and not the actual film. The film is fictional. Focus on the people. That's like really what I think we should come away from with this. And now we move on to Bantha Fodder, in which Stephen and I discuss whatever is on our minds, Star Wars, politics, or otherwise. Stephen, what's on your mind this week? Oh, gosh. Well, I think it's kind of the same thing that's on everybody's mind, which is what has been going on for the past two weeks in Washington regarding the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, Christine Blasey Ford. It was a national trauma. I mean, I, I just think it's going to be one of those things that we don't really realize for a couple of years, just how bad the effect of what happened on the news the past two weeks really was. I want to say something that I, I just have been writing an op-ed about it for the past couple of days because it's really hard for me to put into words and for me to write, which is that I, I believed Christine Blasey Ford. Um, she seemed to me to be credible, uh, believable, and it, it's, it also sort of speaks to some of my biases about the kind of 
person that Brett Kavanaugh is in his background. I also think he was owed a certain presumption of innocence and that the entire thing went off the rails. I also believe that the right thing to have done in this entire situation, given those those things that you had on the table there, was for the White House to withdraw the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh and for the Republicans in leadership, particularly Mitch McConnell, to pump the brakes and back off. But we live in this time period now of destruction. Destroy your opponent, steamroll at all costs, make the win possible. You have to win, you have to win, or or else. And it was never really clear to me why the stakes were so high for Brett Kavanaugh being passed through the Supreme Court. So it always just seemed to me that we needed to back off, um, put somebody else up for the court, and figure out a, a win that was going to, you know, achieve the goals of the Trump administration, of the Republicans who voted all of these people into office for this very reason, but that it didn't have to be a nationally divisive sort of tragic event that was going to just wreck the lives of everybody who was involved. I have my complaints about the way Democrats were handling this, the opportunism, the sort of cynicism in which they approached this entire thing. It was grossly political, but I'm not a Democrat, and I think it's more important to police my own side and sort of call call fouls, you know, where things are just actually just not right. And I have to say, I've been a Republican since I was 11. Um, it's been my identity for my entire life. I left the party this past week uh, on Friday after Susan Collins announced the way that she was going to vote on Brett Kavanaugh. I just, I got up from the couch. I just, I just got up from the couch. I just marched down to um, the board of elections and I just, I just changed my registration and I'm, I'm just no longer, no longer a voting Republican. I'm not going to participate in primaries. I'm going to have an op-ed coming out about this. Uh, It'll be, it'll be online here in the next couple of days. And I'm just, I'm not participating in this anymore. Just sort of the politics of, of mutually assured destruction and winning at all costs. It's, it's gross. It makes me feel bad when I look in the mirror as a member or a former member of the Republican Party. And it's not about any sort of ideas or principles. It's just about winning. And that is not what this country is supposed to be about. Um, the two major parties in this country are running the market like a political cartel. They've like carved out all of these customers. They've instilled a mix of sort of Stockholmish trust and fear in their buyers. And then they systematically attempt to eliminate any competition in the marketplace of ideas so they can control the political market and all the voters. I don't really know what my political future is going to be, where I'm going to land. All of you know I'm kind of like a libertarian libertarian light kind of guy. I don't know if I'm going to join the libertarian party or be an independent. I just know that I am done with this because this is a, a racket. This entire system, this blue versus red thing is, is just unreal to me. And I, I don't want to be in it anymore. Um, so that being said, I am still your right of center host, Stephen Kent, to stand up to the tyranny of Suara and the liberals. But I just want to say, and that is a joke, um, I just want to say that you know this show is still going to maintain the same sort of balance, even if I'm not a registered Republican. Uh, I happen to believe that the libertarian consensus is actually the true opposition um, to the progressive consensus. So I'm going to be standing there instead of being the, the Republican, because what does that even mean? That doesn't mean anything anymore, um, except steamroll and destroy and have your your principles just sort of go up into the wind and blow where they may. So that's me. That's my fodder. That was quite a rant. I apologize if it was too long, but it's a big transition for me in my life. Um, It's a big identity shift for me in trying to figure out who I am as a person. And I'm happy about it. I I feel good. Um, So I hope anyone who wants to talk to me about it will drop in my mentions on Twitter and let's uh, let's chat politics. It'll be fun. Uh, Suara, sorry for my, my extended rant there. What is on your mind? What is your fodder this week? No, please. That was very good. Uh, happy to hear uh, like your fodder. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is a group of scientists convened by the UN, issued out a report saying that if we don't drastically change our practices uh, within the next 10 years, 
by 2040, we will be in crisis with climate change. Uh, They found that basically in this report, they found that the atmosphere on current trends will warm up by as much as 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, 1.5 degrees Celsius. You might know the two degree threshold we have until 2050, but now they're giving us a new timeline deadline for 2040. If we don't act soon as a collective society, what we've just experienced in the past several years with the Syrian refugee crisis or refugee crisis across the Middle East and North Africa, we're going to experience that maybe a hundredfold. People in the tropics will no longer be able to live there. Sea levels will rise. The tropics will essentially become so hot, it will be unbearable to live there. What is going to happen in the next couple of decades will affect our children and our grandchildren very directly. Most of the time when we talk about climate change in politics, we don't talk about the exact direct impact that it will have on people. By that, and that's by necessity, because climate change happens on the scale of decades, centuries, and millennia. But now, we are going to see very direct impacts. And sometimes you'll see, and this has been happening in the past couple of days in response to this report, oh, here are some tips on how you can make your life greener. Here's what you can do to uh, recycle more, etc. That is good. But what we need to do ultimately is elect people to office who believe in climate change and climate action. We need people who are going to help us roll back on greenhouse gases coming from oil, coal, natural gas, and other fire-based consuming energies and switch more to renewable. Your vote matters. Like There's a midterm coming up in less than a month, and you have the ability to elect people to office who can make more action on this issue or block the current administration from derailing efforts further. It's in our power as voters. This has to become a more votable, a more politically salient issue for all of us. Our children are going to feel the impact, and it's up to you as voters to help mitigate that and potentially make the entire world a better place. That's Mike Potter. Suara, always making the world a better place. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, and we could not do this uh, episode of Beltway Banthas or any episode of Beltway Banthas without our wonderful patrons. And I'm just going to read a couple of them out right now. So we want to give a very special thanks to Connie Shi, Cheston Lee, Isaiah Leslie, Andrew Siner, Brad Tracy, Nick DeColandria, Sarah Smith, BJ Smith, Jessica Shitara, Jared Cantor, Tish Wells, Sarah Strain, and Sean Mahan. Thank you all so, so very much for your patronage. You have no idea how much it means to us. High energy. I love all of you. Um, thanks, everybody who's involved with us on Patreon. And you get uh, extra content from time to time as well. You get advance on interviews. You get more of the interviews that we put on this show, such as the interview today that you heard with Morton Bay. There will be an extended version of that where Morton Bay and I actually talk a little bit about his love of Star Wars instead of doing research and data. Um, so that will be something that you will get if you are in just as low as $1 a month as a patron. Uh, it is it is a it is a McDonald's coffee that you pa- pass up every month just to support the show, help keep our lights on, and gosh, we do appreciate it. You make it possible for us to carry on. Uh, Beltway Banthas, this is episode sixty one. We thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is going to be, I guess. The, the next episode you'll hear will be next week. We'll have some bonus content that we will do. Um, there'll be interviews and panel discussions for you. And then we'll come back with number 62 the week after next. You can find more from Beltway Banthas on Twitter at Beltway Banthas. We hope you'll give us a follow. And you can connect with me as well online at Stephen underscore Kent 89. Suara, where can they find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at SwarzeeWalker. That's S-W-A-R-Z-S-E-A-W-A-L-K-E-R. You can find some of my blog posts on the But Why Though podcast blog. I'll have a piece coming up soon, uh, potentially this week, on my very complicated feelings on the Aladdin live-action film that's coming (laughs) out. Uh, And you can also find me on my other podcast, The Flash Podcast, where me, Andy, and Tatiana review every single episode of The CW's The Flash TV series. All right, y'all do that. We'll be back the week after next with more. Until then, may the force be with you. Laugh it up, fuzzball.